Hi, everybody. It's Peter Travers at Popcorn, again, coming to you remotely from my studio on Cape Cod, which is actually just my office. And because we've hit the six-month point of this year, I thought it would be fun to talk about what are the best 10 movies of the year so far, you know? We know what happened this year, the first half of virus rage, theaters closed, Hollywood ran scared, and yet nothing killed the fighting spirit of movies. So here's 10 of the best, all available to stream, and I'll work my way up from 10 to 1. All right, 10. I'm cheating on this one. It's Hamilton. Hamilton just came in sort of over the wires, but it's so good people. It's so good. What is it? Did they make a whole movie of this I never heard about? No. It's a live capture of the 2016 Broadway performance of the show with the original cast, just before the original cast all left. You know how much it cost to see Hamilton, and maybe a lot of you weren't in New York and could never see it with this amazing group of people led by the show's creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Tommy Kale, who directed this, used nine cameras to record this show. And it's the most dynamic recording of a stage production that I've ever seen. And the whole history of Hamilton telling this $10 founding father, who is an immigrant, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is also an immigrant. And he decided to cast non-white actors as these historical figures. And that started a revolution in the theater. As he said, it's America then told by America now. And you will not find a better cure for your pandemic blues than watching Hamilton. So it's making my list. I cheated by three days, so shoot me. Okay, number nine. Number nine is the earliest movie that was released this year. It's called The Assistant. You know, remember back in January when no one ever heard of COVID-19? The headline grammar then was the virus of sexual harassment. You know, what does it feel like to work for a monster? Well, look to this movie, The Assistant. It's from the writer-director Kitty Green. And it's about an office assistant played by Ozark's Julia Garner. And she's great in this movie. And she works for a predatory movie mogul that might be Harvey Weinstein, you know, but he's not named that. It's meant to stand in for any employer who uses his position to intimidate or harass. And as she struggles to survive one day under the thumb of this toxic boss, and the whole office hierarchy that lets him get away with it. Kitty Green indicts a broken world that we all know too well, and she does it in microcosm. Okay, number eight. I'm going to call this one Onward, because it is called Onward. Pixar gave us this kind of frisky animated tale of two elf brothers. Tom Holland and Chris Pratt are both terrific doing the voices. And they bond over trying to bring their late father back to life for a single day to just have this idea of having this one moment with him. Onward is a Pixar movie, and most of the greatness of Pixar works best is when they use the modern machinery of animation to evoke kind of the eternal wonder of being human. You'll, you'll laugh, you'll cry. What more do you want from a movie, right? Number seven is bad education. Uh, it's about a New York public school superintendent who helped embezzle more than $11 million from the school system. And playing this part, which is certainly not like Wolverine, is Hugh Jackman giving what I think is the performance of his career. I mean, he is really that good. And how does he play one guy who has a genuine dedication to the kids 
in the schools that he teaches? How, how does this jibe with his own self-deception as a closeted gay man with an addiction to Botox and a sex life that he pays for through grand larceny? Well, the director, Corey Finley, uses satire. It's kind of a woundingly funny movie. And Jackman is so good that he makes us all complicit in how easy it might be for any of us to get caught up in something to make that easy buck. Amazingly timely movie. All right, number six. Number six is First Cow. You know, I tell people about this movie and a lot of them say, First Cow, I mean, what is it, a farm movie? I, I don't get it, I never heard of it. You know, a lot of the best movies that came out in the first six months are movies you never heard of. They're indie. But you know, we live in this pandemic time where we can have access to these. Like I said at the start, they're available to stream now. So don't brush off this because you think it's just a story of two men and a cat, you know. It's actually a masterwork from Kelly Reichert. And this one is set in Oregon during the 1820s in the gold rush. And it's just about a cook named Cookie, which I love, played by John Magaro, and a runaway Chinese immigrant, played by Ryan Lee, and their fight for survival. Well, their crime and their deliverance from that crime comes in the form of a cow whose milk they steal to make cakes that become a hit on the wild frontier. And what Kelly Riker does is that she takes on the toxic roots of capitalism and the healing effects of friendship. You know, profound? I think so. And Reichert is a true cinema poet. So give this one a chance if you can. All right, we're moving on now to number five, which is The Vast of Night. And ever since this movie had such an impact at the Slamdance Film Festival earlier this year, and then in Toronto, it became a hit because Andrew Patterson is a new director with a real talent. And he has no money to make this movie, and yet his imagination takes over. It's a chump change budget. But it's a take on that kind of, I see something in the sky genre, set in the 1950s in New Mexico. And it's about the paranoia that we all feel today, too, because we're living with this whole virus thing. And it kind of says, who says that a teenage radio DJ and a switchboard operator, played by Sierra McCormick, who says they can't save the world from these aliens in this flying saucer? And getting lost in the vastness of this night would be a highlight in any year. Okay, so now we're on to number four. Number four is the king of Staten Island. Did you know that Saturday Night Live favorite Pete Davidson had a firefighter father who died on 9-11? You know, we think of Pete Davidson as always being this happy-go-lucky kind of guy who plays those skits on Saturday Night Live. But in fact, Pete was just seven when his father died when tragedy struck. Well, with the help of the director, Judd Apatow, who also helped Davidson write the script, he uses his own story to play himself as a kind of 20-something train wreck. The story is basically his life in Staten Island. He's still living, as he is. He's living at home with his mom. And Marissa Tomei plays his mom in the movie, who's a nurse like his real mom. But the difference is... This movie isn't about Pete pursuing a career in comedy. He wants to be a tattoo artist, but it's something artistic. It's something that he wants to do. Look, it's challenging, really challenging, to build a kind of funhouse movie that's so filled with grief and depression. But Davidson shows 
real subtle acting chops in this movie and he shapes his life into something funny and touching. So you might look at this and say, mm, I don't know, I don't, it's not, it is silly. It is a little crude sometimes, but really gets you, you know, it gets you right here. All right, number three, what is number three? It is called, try to say this, never, rarely, sometimes, always, which is a questionnaire that this young girl trying to get an abortion because she lives in a small town in Pennsylvania where she can't do that without getting her parents' permission. So she and her friend take a train and they go to New York. I have to say again, this woman is played by Sydney Flanagan. And when she takes that trip on that train with her cousin, and she's played by Talia Ryder, who's also terrific, she faces a really a bunch of harrowing obstacles. It's not an issue movie. It's much more of a personal movie because the director-writer, Eliza Hittman, wants to get close to what people feel when this kind of thing happens. And we can feel her nerve endings as she's going through this kind of questionnaire about people saying, everything you do, how often do you do it? Never, rarely, sometimes, always. This is an emotional powerhouse of a movie. So, you know, it's not gonna make you laugh very much, but it's gonna hit you and it's gonna stay in your dreams. All right, now we're coming to, I, well, yes we are. Is it coming to number two and number one? Uh, which of these movies are going to be, I think, big deals at the Academy Awards this year? Well, they're not this year, they're next year because the Academy Awards usually in February. Well, now they're in April, so we have to wait. But listen, these two deserve it. Number two is The Invisible Man. This is the movie in which Elizabeth Moss raises the bar on the 1897 H.G. Wells classic by bringing in right into the scary here and now. The director, Lee Wannell, who does horror movies, he makes the smart and a really timely decision to shift the focus from the invisible man to the woman who has been abused by this man and who is now, because he's an optics engineer, invented an invisibility cloak that will allow him, when the rest of the world thinks he's dead, to return and abuse and harass his girlfriend that is so well played by Elizabeth Moss. It's the year's best performance by an actress. And it's a contemporary work of socially conscious horror. Who knew? I thought this was just going to be another remake of something we'd seen a thousand times before. No, it's about an invisible woman who is not going to stay invisible anymore. All right. Drum roll, please, everybody. What do I think was the number one best picture of 2020 at halftime? And I don't even have the slightest hesitation to say that that is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I mean, it needs more than a drum roll. It's a game changer of a movie. It's a Vietnam epic, and it kind of lobs a grenade, which is a Spike Lee thing to do, at systemic racism. And it speaks to Black history from slavery to George Floyd. It's that contemporary because the four Vietnam vets that are called the Bloods they're going back to the battlefield where they were before to find the body of the fifth blood, who was played by Chadwick Boseman in flashbacks, to find his remains and to give him a burial at Darlington, but also to 
find a treasure that they buried there. It's illegal, they shouldn't have it, but they're going to find it. I have to say right off that all the actors are great, but Delroy Lindo, who plays the guy who's the Trump voter, who makes his friends all insane by wearing a MAGA hat, it gives a monumental performance that deserves this Best Actor Award because it's one of the best performances ever that you're going to see. And Delroy Lindo, who's always been on the periphery, is so good in this part. So you're with him all the time. And what simmers underneath all of this is Spike Lee's fury about how the heroism of black soldiers has been written out of history, not just in Vietnam, but from the American Revolution to the Trump era. At halftime, the five bloods is, and you're hearing me say it, I'm going out on the record, the best picture of the year. And when they hand out the Oscars next year, it still will be. You can bet on it. Lee has made more than a soul-stirring film for a time. He's made one for the ages. So if you haven't seen that one yet, get busy. And thank you for listening to me. And if you disagree with me or agree with me, I'd love to hear from you. So you know where to find me. And no matter what happens in this pandemic, we can still watch and talk about movies here on Popcorn. Thank you so very much. Bye-bye.